Um, come on now. Um, as we turn to the last chapters of, really the last chapter of Hebrews today, chapter 13, and you go ahead and can find that in your Bible or it'll be up here. Um, but so, so, I think some of us are glad to be finishing up, right? I mean, we've been in Hebrews since, since, I can't remember when my Bible automatically opens to Hebrews. I say that and then it doesn't do it, but um, uh, it, it, I just like, it's getting all wrinkly in those pages and it, my, it was my new Bible just a year ago, so now it's really feeling like Hebrews is the place to be. Um, uh, so you may be glad to be finishing up, and, uh, but some of us, I, I, me in particular, I wanna, I'm going to kind of miss the, the beauty and, and nearly untapped depth of this book. I mean, we kind of, even though we've been spending a lot of time in the book, it seems like we're, we're just, just beginning to uncover what's in there. And uh, so I'm, I'm anxious. In fact, I've read it through a number of times in recent weeks just to kind of see it again, to understand, kind of get that whole picture before hitting chapter 13. But either way, chapter 13 is the epilogue of one of the richest theological treasures of the Bible. And it just, we, we can't miss that. Uh, and it's a funny thing because uh, Hebrews didn't automatically, it wasn't just like quickly welcomed into the canon. It took some effort to make sure because, part, partly because nobody knew who wrote it. And that was a part of the issue. But, but the author here um, is, is leading us in this epilogue into a brief time of the so what of Hebrews. So what about all of this, all that we've been saying. There have been many opportunities now for application Throughout, uh, throughout the book. Uh, but, but this one kind of says, now what do we do with this? How do we approach? How do we move on from here? Um, and he's leaving us with a few key instructions, and particularly these verses that I have today in chapter, in chapter 13, the first six verses. Um, there, there's some very specific applications of what we know, and, but we need to understand why they're there. Um, and how these, these applications or these instructions will, will help us proceed through the Christian life in light of what? The greatness of Jesus Christ. The greatness of Him being greater. Remember, we keep saying, Jesus is greater. And so in light of that, how can I continue in this life as a Christian, um, as a follower of Christ? And if you, can, if you comprehend the revelation of God in Christ, you show Christ in three areas that we're going to talk about today, in hospitality, honoring marriages, and in contentment. And, I, you know, basically I have three sermons all wrapped up into one. Okay, you guys got that? So in Russia, when I was a, when I was a missionary in Russia, um, we would go to church, and the routine in Russia was you had three sermons at every worship service. Unless, of course, it was a holiday like Christmas or Easter, which, by the way, we're approaching. And then you would have five, okay, just to make it more celebratory. Now, you guys think, that's ridiculous. We wouldn't sit through three sermons or five sermons, especially in honor of a holiday. We want to get home, get candy. But, but uh, the Russians understood that the, these holidays were about Jesus. And they wanted to preach his word and get his word out to the people. Now, I guarantee you, if you're listening to that in a language that's not your own, it is extremely challenging. And my poor kids, um, but they survived. 
Let's go to the book of, of, of Hebrews 13 and just kind of let's, let's hear it read through for a moment. Just these first few verses. Chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. He says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as, those, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that's written here. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So to know Christ is to show Christ in uncomfortable settings. To know Christ is to show Christ in uncomfortable settings. The author begins this simply enough. He says, let brotherly love continue. Now, now we've grown accustomed to talking about agape, right? We, we talk about agape, and it's a, it's a Greek word that we've decided is English. You know, it's God's kind of love. And we kind of talk about that as if this is all that matters, is agape love. And, and that only God can do that, and so we can talk about that. That's just a God thing. But, uh, but, but, but we sometimes miss the importance of brotherly love, which was a word that was more commonly used in, in, in the days of Christ walking the earth. Agape was kind of actually a word that had been moved out of the, the language of common use, and it was just kind of sitting aside. And, and basically, the, the writers of Scripture and Jesus himself co-opted it to give a better understanding of God's absolute love for us. But, but brotherly love was more commonly used. And the readers of Hebrews were already expressing brotherly love. That's clearly, he says, because let it continue. You know, so he, say, he says, he's recognizing they're already loving one another. This is a good thing. But let it continue. And, we, uh, uh, and, he, and he, he says, um, the author wants us to, to express, um, excuse me, to encourage this expression in a few specific ways. He wants their lifestyle to express this love. Literally, he says, to abide in brotherly love. I mean, you know, let it continue. Let it abide in it, actually. He says, you're going to live in this. This is going to be a part of, of your lifestyle. This is who you are. Abide in it. You know, remember Jesus said in, in John 15, he says, abide in me, and I, uh, abide in my words, and my, let my words abide in you. He said abide in me so many times in there, and I wish I could I've tried to memorize that, that passage dozens of times, and every time I fail after having 20 abides, you know, I mean, you just can't get it all uh, in order the right way. Um, so I confess my sins to you, and you really enjoy that. Um, but it was very, very cathartic to me. I appreciate that time. Um, but he wants their, their lifestyle to express this love. Uh, abide in, a, in brotherly love. Dwell in this place. Paul made this, by the way, in Romans. He made this a competition. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another, showing honor. Don't you like that? Outdo one another. Try to do, 
Oh, what? You're loving me too much? Okay, I'll love you even more. So there, you know. I mean, you're making it a competition. I like that because I love competition. Aren't you glad, by the way, that we are still in, in the lead for the snow, glo snow globe? I'm, I'm really excited about that. We're still in the lead. And, you know, I just, that's why I like to live in Syracuse because we almost always win. Um, now, I'm concerned about Binghamton. They're only a few inches behind us, so we need to be sure that we get some more. All right? Just pray for a little more snow because we don't want them to get too much down there and win. I want to win something. Something. We show brotherly love through hospitality. The passage says, do not neglect to show hospitality. Now, some of you, you're strange, okay? But some of you really love to host people in your homes. You know, you're absolute extroverts in that way. And you just like to, man, you, you just love nothing more than to clean up the home all day long. Make it spick, spick and span. Make it just beautiful. And bring people over and have them stay there until 1, 2, 3 in the morning. It doesn't matter. It's you just want to entertain people. You know, but that's a good thing. Thank you for you who do that. And thank you that I can leave early. Okay? Um, that, it's just, it, I love you. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm just kidding. Um, but this, some, some of you. Some of you, not so much, right? Some of you say, that's not my spiritual gift. I'm not going to have a show of hands because that would just really put some of you on the spot. But some of you are thinking right now, that's me. I, it's not my spiritual gift. I have something to tell you. You're not going to like. This command isn't to somebody who has a spiritual gift of hospitality. Um... But there's good news in this. It's a command to all of us. Hospitality, though, is literally stranger love. I talked to the kids about that just a moment ago. It's stranger love. And the author leaves no doubt that it is to be shown to whom? What? What? Everyone. I like everyone. Who is everyone? The kids would have gotten it right. <laughs> strangers. If it's stranger love, who is it? Strangers you love, right? Golly. Now we got to go back to grammar school. Um, hospitality is to be shown to strangers. Jesus gave multiple examples of how the world is good to those who are good to them, right? Oh, yeah, if you're good to me, I'll give you something. You know, I'm good. if I can expect you to pay me back, I'll, pay, I'll give you a loan. I'll give you something, right? I'll bring you over for dinner if I expect you to invite me to dinner. Maybe. But that's not what this stranger love is all about. Um, Jesus commands us what? Love your enemies. That's not as easy. That's not as easy. Love your enemies. He, he instructs us to give to those who cannot repay. Uh, you see it in the political world. You know, everybody has to give. They, they, they give basically, um, basically so that, that they can get something in return. Everybody right now is wanting to be somehow close to Trump, but not known as being close to Trump because they want to get something. I don't know why that is. It just came to my mind at the moment. 
the life, this lifestyle had, had an impact on somebody unusual by the name of Julian. Julian as the last non-Christian ruler of the Roman Empire, and he said this of Christians. He said, these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours also, welcoming them, welcoming them into their, and I, I translate love feasts, that's agapeo, or agapei, or something like that, I can't pronounce it right. And they, they attract them as children are attracted to, with cakes. What did he see? He, he saw that kindness towards strangers had been a principal means of propagating, and he said, the ungodliness, the ungodliness of the Christians. Because he, he didn't want them to be attracted to that. He wanted them to be attracted to the multiplicity of gods of, of the Roman Empire. And so he said, these are, these are attracting them away from that to the ungodliness, little g-godliness, of Christians. And when we talk of entertaining angels in here, that, doesn't that mess you up? We talk about angels. Even the Christian world feels a little confused or self-conscious. We, we don't really have time, thankfully, to address the subject of angels. I, I'm not going in that, all right? Because that's one thing. I don't really understand it, all right? Just be honest. Um, but this passage, from this passage, we can see that angels could possibly turn up in your home without you being aware. Scary. Creepy sounding, doesn't it? But it's a good thing, these angels. Now, the word for angel basically means messenger, okay? So don't get all panicky on this. Uh, angels, when they're sent, they are sent as messengers of God to us, and not all messengers happen, are, happen to be the supernatural being kind. I don't know what's happening when these people come. Most of the time, I tend to know who's coming to my house. So I kind of know where they're coming from. Um, if the primary meaning is the supernatural being, which is the most direct interpretation, by the way, or if it is a messenger, just messenger, the most important promise is that God is bringing the by a messenger in the form of a stranger. He's coming by in the form of a stranger. Now, if God is sending a messenger, don't we want to know what he's saying? Don't we want to hear what he has to say to us? Stranger love will get you there. Stranger love will let you hear what the messenger from God has to say to you. Quite often, that's how God is going to get through to us, particularly about his nature. But the risk is clear. We will not necessarily see the stranger in good light. When I have somebody come to my door and I don't know them, I'm not always really thrilled to see them. How many of you are guilty of this? You kind of peek out the window when somebody rings your doorbell. You're not expecting them. You look out there and you say, I don't know that person. And you don't go to the door. Yeah? Yeah? We've all done that. No, I don't know if we've all done that. But many of us have done that at times when it's not convenient or I just don't want to talk to somebody or I don't want to deal with somebody from a false religion. Um, my brother-in-law played a trick on Elise's family one time not too long ago. Um, well, it was long enough ago that her father was still alive. But... Um, played a trick on him. He dressed up as a, uh, 
as a bum, as a homeless person. And, and um, he put on some special teeth things and, and I don't know what, all, all this stuff. That, that I didn't see it, but they did. Uh, and, um, and showed up to a barbecue, family barbecue. And just walked into the, to the, the family uh, home and, and said, uh, you know, sat down and started getting some food and talking to people just like cheerfully and to, with, a, with a rather unusual voice. And, um, and, 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 and nobody knew who he was. I mean, he's their son-in-law or their brother-in-law, or, and yet nobody knew. And, and they were passing the test so far. They were, they were conducting stranger love for a time, even though he was rather rude and crass, and everybody looked around and said, who invited this guy? And nobody did. And so he shows up, and, and so what does he do? Everything was fine until he said to my father-in-law, Get your wrinkled rear end cleaned up for this audience uh, up and get me a beer. At that point, there was a change in attitude towards said homeless individual. And, um, and luckily, he revealed himself after, or else there would have been real trouble. And, and, and he might have uh, experienced some pain, you know. But... Um, that's the way stranger is to us, right? That's the way the stranger comes into our lives. We don't necessarily find them attractive or welcome. That's the person he's saying we need to. Stranger love also, by the way, applies to prisoners, uh, those in bonds. Even though we don't generally face imprisonment for our faith in the United States, we still have the opportunity to pray for those imprisoned in other countries. Those who are mistreated or suffer adversity because of their faith are becoming increasingly common in the world around us, uh, particularly of that of secular values. Um, probably the most relevant to those of us living in the, cities, uh, in, in the city of Syracuse are our refugee population. You know, we have strangers that are coming in to our city. Now, I don't care what your political views are. Because it, it doesn't really matter to God what your political views are. I hate to tell you that. What does matter to God is how well we receive the stranger who somebody has decided to let in. It doesn't matter who let them in. How are we receiving the stranger? That's important. Um, it really, by the way, is a great opportunity for those who represent Christ Sometime ask me about my views regarding the church. <laughs> I wish I had time regarding the church and how we have an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of these people. Because if the church is not doing the witnessing that they should do, then we don't need to be letting people in, right? But if we're letting people in, which we are at times, right, right now maybe, from certain places, we need to be sharing, helping them know the love of God. Anyway, that's, that was free. That, that was not free. It'll take you past my deadline here. When we take the simple step to listen to the pain and trouble of those in bondage, uh, we identify with them as if in bondage or ill-treated with them. See, we're kind of like joining with 
the, law, the people who are strangers. The, joining with people who are suffering. Joining with people who are feeling uh, uh, some kind of, of suffering or illness or difficulty in their lives as we listen to them and, and understand where they're coming from. And since, since we are also in the body, the author is basically saying, he says, hey, 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 wait a minute. It could happen to you. Do you think anybody that comes into our lives that is suffering a miserable situation, maybe they're a street person, maybe they're a refugee, maybe they're in some other situation of, of suffering, you think they set out thinking that's where they were going to land? They didn't set out thinking that. They landed there because, because something changed in their world and, and put them in that position. It could happen to you. And after such a powerful call to care for others through action, the writer here in Hebrews says, moves to a, a very internal and personal issue. So that one wasn't really stepping on your toes, but this one should. He talks about marriage. To know Christ is to show Christ through holding marriages on a pedestal. Through holding marriages on a pedestal. Now, last year we spent a lot of time on marriage, right? So I'm not going to major on this today. But... Um, I guess we can never, though, exhaust the subject. How many of you got your marriage completely in order? Come on now. Completely in order. What did we do last year? Man, maybe we should start over again. Um, yeah, so let's just return to the issue for a moment. The scripture tells us that marriage is to be held in honor. Look in verse 4. He says, he says, he says, um, uh, helps I go to the right chapter. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Boy, that is just harsh words. And by the way, that's written to the church. It's written to the church. There is a judgment that comes on even people in the church that go through this. I'm not saying it's an eternal judgment. It is a judgment, though. Now, marriage is to be held in honor, valued, respected, precious. That's the scripture. When we were first married, Elisa and I, um, we were young, okay? How many of you were young when you got married? How many of you feel really old now? Yeah, see, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm a really old married person, right? Well, we were young, we were newlyweds. I don't think we'd been married a year, and we got we uh, got invited. They, our church was having a marriage retreat. We were married. We were on our honeymoon, and so we said, "Yes, marriage retreat, love it." So we go on this marriage retreat, and with all these other couples. There may be a reason why we don't like to go on marriage retreats with couples anymore. This might be it. Anyway, so we went on this marriage retreat with other couples, and now we're on our honeymoon. We're happy. Everything is wonderful and perfect, right? You know, first year of marriage, it's perfect. That's why I married her. And then, so we're around all these people and that have been married for longer, okay? And all these people married longer are like, they're Christians. And we're like looking at them like, what's wrong with you? You're not happily married? You're not just absolutely love each other? What is wrong? 
And we were kind of like, I mean, as, as is typical for us, we were a little proud of our marriage of a few months. <laughs> but uh, uh, we kind of went home from that and said, <laughs> got that one wired, you know. Uh, next, next thing to deal with in life. Um, but um, one of the things we took away from the retreat, and we did take away besides our, our ridiculous pride, we took something else away from the retreat. We, we took away that we always speak highly of our spouse and of our marriage particularly in public places. And that was, of course, for me, a very tough thing when it came down to the thing of sarcasm. Sarcasm about my marriage was, or about my wife, became off limits. Why? Because sarcasm's wrong? Joking's wrong? No, because my wife needs to be held on a pedestal. She needs to be recognized for who she is a creation of God that God is entrusting me with, right? And so, so, particularly in public, we chose to take that tack. By the way, marriage is wonderful, and I'm not just making that up. She's wonderful, and I'm not making that up. You can ask my kids. They'll tell you how we treat each other, you know, in real life. Uh, they see it. They see when we don't agree and how we handle that. Not always great. Most of the time. So how can we, if, if marriage, by the way, is a gift of God, how can we treat it as something to disdain or mock? It became, and that's something we realize. It's something, you know, what, in the Christian world, why do we mock marriage? Why do we criticize our wives or our husbands? I'm, I'm the man. I speak from the man's perspective, all right? Excuse me. But the author, the author is taking this attitude a step further. He says, I am not to treat anyone else's marriage with disrespect. In Christian circles, marriage is holy, set apart for God. We, we talk about engaging in holy matrimony, right? So it's a holy thing. It's set apart for God. And, and if, I, if I look at the wife of another man in an ungodly manner, I am not offending just that other man. I'm offending God. If I interfere with the resolution of marital problems in another marriage, I am interfering with God's work. When the author talks about the marriage bed, he declares the sexual relationship between husband and wife to be holy. Holy. Let the med wedding marriage bed or the be undefiled. It's a holy thing. So what do we bring into the marriage bed with us? The TV? A computer? Good night, dear. My phone? A grudge? Hmm. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, he says. This is a part of that walk. One of my New Testament professors back in the dark ages, Dr. Tommy Lee, wrote this, this 
about this passage. He said, purity, contentment, and a trust in God are ingredients needed for developing strong Christian families. Now, that could be fleshed out, but we're not going to do it today. And when the author states that God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous, he sends a strong warning to followers of Christ. Don't do it. Stay away from this. It's going to be a problem for you in your life. Contentment in marriage is clearly preferred to messing around in discontent. You get my point? Okay, just making sure. If I see some nods, I'm good. If you're not nodding, talk to me later. God gave, God gave you your spouse. And God has given you many things. You guys are blessed people. Uh, to know Christ is to show Christ in contentment. Look at verse 5. He says, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say that the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear. What can man do to me? So I kind of start out here with this thing of, of, of we, we talked about brother love, and then we talked about the, the love of our wives, and now we're talking about the love of stuff, right? So it's kind of like a, an odd combination here, but to know Christ is to show Christ in contentment. Your, your life, literally, your character, the way of life is to be free from the love of money. Now, I just mentioned it, but I want to mention it again. We have talked about brother love, stranger love, and now the contrast of money love with God love. It's interesting, by the way, how this word contrasts with the early word brother love. By the way, that earlier word is, is, is Philadelphia. You know Philadelphia? You know Philadelphia, right? City of brotherly love, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> it's got it. What an amazing city that's like, that has that brotherly love, right? That's an amazing place. And, um, but, but this word starts off with the same word, phila, part, but, it, but, it goes in, but instead of saying the love of the brotherly love, it's the love of silver, literally, love of silver, um, and, which I think is an interesting contrast. But when, when you think about it, it is really impossible to love both, to love my brother and to love silver. To love my brother and love money. To love my brother and love things. To love God and love anything else. Right? I mean, it's just, it's really, it's hard to do. You can't do the two. Jesus stressed that. Uh, he said you cannot serve God and money. There are some things that are mutually exclusive, and this is one of them. God and loving anything else. Contentment in Christ allows us to be free of worry. You cannot be cont content without trust. You cannot be content without trust. Why do we have trouble in our marriage, having contentment in our marriages? It's a lack of trust. Now, trust has to be built and earned in most relationships, but how, how can we not be content in Christ? He earned our trust. He died for us. He earned that trust. So I can trust Him completely. And if I'm not content, then I'm, I'm just slamming the door in, the, in His face while the blood drips from his hands. I need to be content and trust him. Why not? When the author says to be content or satisfied with what we have, he is not just talking about the stuff we have. He is talking about the person we have. 
Be content, not just with your stuff that he's given you, but be content with him. If I have nothing else but Jesus alone, is that enough? I think it's enough. He'll take care of my basic needs. He promises that. He takes care of the birds' needs. I may not like what they eat. But there's some birds I'll eat. No, anyway. The writer repeats a truth expressed more than once in Scripture. The Lord, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. The Lord will never leave us or forsake us. Jacob heard that promise. God said it to Joshua. David mentions it. Solomon received it. Jesus includes it in the Great Commission. Paul mentions it. The theme runs through the Bible. If you haven't got one point at all, this one's one to get. The Lord will never leave you or forsake you. He's not going away. There's a promise. How can I be content? How can I trust? He says so through here. The Bible is clear. There's no doubt He is going to be with you. God's, God's promise is true. And he will, by the way, because of that, never give up on us. Did you screw up? Did you mess up? He says, I'll never leave you. Wow. Of course, that's because it's not based on what you did. It's what he did. He will not give up on us. It's kind of a double whammy and a triple whammy. I like this. Look, at, he, says, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, that, that doesn't get it quite the way it's written in Greek. Just so you, I mean, I just want you to think about this. He says, he says, there's a double whammy. I will never, never leave you. That's what he's really saying. It's a double negative, but in double negatives in Greek means really, really negative. Okay? I will never, never leave you. And then in triple, his triple whammy is that I will never, never, never forsake you. You got something to trust in. There's, and I didn't do it. It's not something I accomplished. It's something he promised. So if you screw up, if you mess up, if, you know, some of you didn't raise your hands about having a perfect marriage. And so if you're, if you're dealing with that, trust him. He hasn't left you. He wants to restore you to him and to each other. That's what he wants to do. Here's the thing I thought was so cool as I read this through. The promise is personal. It's personal. Out of all the things that are plurals in this whole passage, this one's singular. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. It's about His love for you as a person. I love that because so many times I think of God's love for the church and have trouble with God's love for me. I, have, I, have, I, I can find it really easy to trust God for his love for the whole world and wanting the gospel to go to all the world and I have sometimes trouble believing he would really want that just for me personally. He says it right here, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not leaving you. Every follower of Christ and hold on to that one. So then, therefore, we confidently, courageously, or boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man 
do to me. I find it interesting how these few verses that we read through today take a direct hit at three cherished American values. You say, where's this coming from? That's okay. I don't care what you think of it. He slams privacy. Welcome the stranger. Welcome the stranger. He slams freedom, particularly sexual freedom. Honor your wives. Honor your marriage. You're not free. You're not free. You are in bondage to Christ. Okay? So you're not free, but you are free. There's more freedom in that bondage than there's ever in what you think is freedom in the world. And he slams our pursuit of wealth. Don't be a lover of money. Be content. Trust that he's got it covered. If you're in financial trouble, it's because you're outside of what he's wanting you to be. That's it. You're spending money on stuff you don't need. We're all doing it, by the way. But that's, that's the source. It's not because you don't have enough. It's because he, otherwise you're saying, God, you didn't provide me enough. You didn't give me enough. So if you're in trouble financially, it's the other way around. No, no, no. You're not paying attention with how I'm telling you to spend your money. I've given you plenty. Well, if you know Christ... You show Christ through love, that is brother love, stranger love, through trusting Christ with marriages and money, content in him. So I'm going to be looking forward to looking at you guys and saying, wow, look how they're showing Christ. They really know him. They really know him. Father, we come before you and thank you that your word speaks to our hearts, regardless of who's doing the talking. And we just thank you that you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.